Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, family, to another edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about opting out and just stepping back from conventional narratives, taking ownership of our reality, and we talked about some strategies for doing that. Today we're talking about something in the same vein, which is extraordinary stress. We live in this very interesting time. So, of course, we're in this world that none of us could have imagined even a few years ago with this ongoing pandemic, with restrictions, uh, with just the stresses of not knowing whether you're going to get sick or not knowing who's going to get upset at you if you're not following a certain protocol. We talked about stress between family over things like vaccine status. So that's one set of stresses that's increased. But beyond that, I don't know if this is correlated with the pandemic or its trends that have been in place for a while anyway. It just seems like the stress of existence has steadily increased. I've really been feeling this at a personal level in the past week or so, maybe even just in the past few days where I've been feeling a pressure in my chest. And I don't know if it's panic but or, or fear or, or what it is, but it's just a heightened awareness of the cost of getting around the city and living my life and the potential downside I face. So the potential risks, there's this onslaught of threats from all directions, none of which is necessarily extreme, some more so than others. But collectively, they create a certain amount of stress that at this point right now, I can physically feel the weight of. So these are things uh, we talked about, uh, the, uh, the situation with COVID, that's one source of stress. There's been this uptick in crime. Uh, we saw something recently in LA. Uh, there was a random stabbing of uh, this 24-year-old woman uh, who was a UCLA student. Something similar happened in New York. Uh, there was a random attack a homeless person pushed a woman in front of a subway train. So just pushed a random person to her death and then left and started screaming at the the police when they tried to talk to him, started screaming at reporters. I was on a subway, as we were talking about, a few nights ago, coming back, and someone pulled out a little handheld saw and put batteries in it and turned this thing on. And they're sitting 30 feet away from me, and the subway doors are closed. And I'm just thinking, what the hell? I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be in the subway. I don't want to be walking down the street worried that someone's going to push me into a car. They're going to decapitate me with a handsaw. Uh, They're going to stab me with a knife. Or even if I can defend myself, worse, they're going to do that to my family. So now I've got to worry about my kids And, man, I mean, that just creates another level of of pressure that I'm feeling. And then in addition to that, there are smaller things. So right now we're in this world where everything is on demand, and you've got deliveries from Amazon, you've got deliveries from Instacart, from whatever your favorite restaurant is, which basically means that there's this army of people on scooters who are driving and breaking all kinds of traffic regulations because they've got a job to do, and they've got to get your food within a 30- or 45-minute window. 
Uh, so it used to be on a one-way street. You could count on traffic going in one direction. Now you got people going in all directions. They're in front of you. They're behind you. They're cutting you off. Uh, so you've got to be constantly on high alert. And if you're with kids, it's even worse because at least you've got some awareness, but your kids are really too young to know what's going on. And then if you're not with your kids and they're with other people, you have to worry, well, does someone else have the same level of awareness? Or are they going to be able to step in and do what needs to be done? So I'm just finding that the stress of daily living has increased. And again, it's not necessarily one thing, but collectively, the combination of restrictions, the combination of crime, the lack of consideration, the change in our habits, which uh, leads to just a lot more traffic, a lot more congestion, it's all taking a toll. And it's putting a weight on me that I'm not sure how to deal with. And Z, we've talked about this before. So even before I started feeling this, we've talked about how there's an accumulation of stress and a lot of examples we see when people snap. Uh, they just seemingly go crazy out of nowhere. We don't know what's happening in the background. We don't know what kind of stress they're dealing with, whether they're having relationship problems, whether they're having problems at work, whether they've taken things that they believe in and they've just suppressed them and choked them down. And over time, that becomes very toxic. And when you combine that tendency with a general level of threat that is increasing, it might become too much. And we've got people who are breaking down. And then that increases stress for everyone else because suddenly you've got a lot more people who are just at risk of going insane. And no one wants to live around that. So that's the topic for today, this idea of extraordinary stress and some thoughts about what we do about it. I just want to start off with you. What's your perspective on this? So give us some thoughts about what you're seeing and how we should think uh, think about dealing with this. Yeah, Vin, I've been observing this, um, dealing with it in, in, in our world for, for a while. And um, the normalization of unhealthy levels of stress started a long time ago. Um, and it became almost fashionable. There should be jokes about people who, were working all day. They had a lot of different jobs and they were pushing and pushing. And I think that was a real big thing for people who came of age in like the 80s and 90s with this, this um, multitasking, never ending, go, go, go. When you would, you would say to people, well, that, that he's a real go-getter. That person's a real go-getter. And, and they didn't really say what he was going to get or what he would get when he got there, but they would say, he's a real go-getter. Just somebody who never stopped never stop. And what do I mean never stop? It goes to the discussion we had on clarity of boundaries. What can you do in a day? What can you do in a week? What can you do in a month? What can you really do in a lifetime? And when we understand that, we understand the way that we can maximize the expression of energy. How can we be the most efficient in all the areas that we need to expend energy? And defining those. And so you'll find people who obsess in one area and it consumes everything. And then you find us collectively as a society, um, having lost the concept of hero, we, we, we deify these people or uh, we, we lionize and we turn into these amazing people because they're endlessly going. They're endlessly going, uh, running like, uh, as we say, on the rat wheel of life. And 
we're trained to say that's how you do it, but what are you really doing? You know, as they say in some communities, grinding, right? The person's just really like a grinder, just just cutting through, cutting through, going, going, uh, no rest, no end to in sight, no real clear cut moment of of completion or victory. And so we've we've done enough to cheerlead this type of behavior. Then you move up a few years, a few decades, and then you have the introduction of um, digital commerce, things you can do online where now, not only do you come home from a long day's work, but now you can sit on the computer all day, interact with people, and then introduce new types of stressors to your life of urgencies, deadlines, get me this, get me that, and uh, you've add that to it. And then the more that you add to that, the more you take away from the things that are the essence of life, right? So when you, in, in the terms of yin and yang, uh, yin is the great mother, the great source of all things. But we're only honoring yang, and so we, we just pull energy out, more energy out, more energy out. Even the ways we talk, the ways we look for things, we've, we've kind of gotten away from that. And what I hope that as we take a pause and we try to opt out and really reset our thinking, um, to pull back from that, because we're still, when all is said and done, energy beings. We need energy, just like our computers need the batteries recharged, our car needs the batteries recharged. If we're not recharging, we're running on empty, and our containment starts to fall down. That containment, that wu qi, as they say in Chinese medicine, when it breaks down, you basically are short-circuiting. And what we're witnessing as a society is the short-circuiting of society. And I would caution anyone to try to point to one singular cause. And this is where we get into fool's folly by trying to point at one thing. I always tell people, look at causality. If you see something going wrong, don't just go and put a patch over it. Address it, but also look at the source of it. The level of general social animus um, has gone up, right? Just, just the anger we have at the average person for either going too slow, going too fast, doing this, doing that. We're externalizing what's happening inside of ourselves. And then it's harder and harder to distinguish ourselves anymore because it's become, again, it's become normal. That is why wiser people, and some people I know and some of my dear friends, have the first thing they did was move out of the city that was your first visit to the emergency room of getting well, is not value these dense, toxic um, pools of, of just overpopulated, over-accessed places. There's no way we as a species, we can't be healthy and do that. You just can't. Uh, my nephew, Jante, just mentioned that he felt that he's taken a lot of hits over the last few years. And he was talking about just uh, the daily struggles, uh, daily things in life. Someone passes away, uh, their career challenges, uh, different things, betrayals, uh, uh, loved one sick, loved one dies. Seems to come right after another. That has always happened. But what didn't happen before is that people had breaks. Even if you had a series of hits, like a boxer, you would have your time to go to your corner and recover. There's no way to recover anymore. 
because we are we're in an endless stream of information that has hijacked our psyche so there are endless threats um, to that that serenity and that serenity is where we recover and the formulas have been laid out by the ancients um, that if you study some of the ancient writings there's a formula for that the other day I wasn't feeling too well and I, I went in my study and I just pulled out uh, one of Sri Aurobindo's poetry books and I began to read Sri Aurobindo and I hadn't read it in a while and I realized that the level of serenity and stillness he had to have in his mind to compose these words I could feel it that's the first time I felt far away from my soul I realized how far away I have gotten dealing with the daily stressors and we can deal with a lot of stress we can take a lot of hits but we need to recover we need space we need to be still if you if I go on the roof of Dharma up here and look down on the city, the things you witness, the near wrecks of accidents, the roaming um, insane people, the distracted people, the frenetic movement of people, you go, wow, what, what happened? If we could just hover above and we can see our place a little better, what's important? And reminding ourselves and all of that that we're just energy beings. And everything requires energy. Good or bad requires energy to perpetuate. And so our energy is no longer directed anymore, or it's being dispersed in so many ways. So an example of the energy of grief is as powerful as the energy of love and life. So when you lose uh, someone, which we all will do, unless we are just soulless, uh, empty, vapid, unworthy creatures. If there's somebody you love, you will lose them or they will lose you. That's it. So as I've said before, in that one lesson, what do you carry with you? That's Buddhism 101, right? What do you carry with you? If you have a brother, if you have a sister, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, that's as good as it gets. And they're not going to be with you forever. And you're not gonna, so how do you want to make our short time together? Let's say just our, our general social interactions with the people that we know, because we should not be so arrogant. We don't care about all people. Let's just be honest. Nobody cares about the Uyghurs in China. Nobody cares about the Palestinian refugees. Nobody cares about uh, the hungry people in the ghetto, unless you're one of them. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that to, to devalue the struggles of people. But what I would say is there is no Uyghur, there is no child in the ghetto, there is no uh, famine victim. It's us. We are all those things. So when we don't have empathy within our own heart, it's hard to extend it to others. And it's even more commonly difficult if we can look in the eyes of the people we love and not understand that other people feel that way about the people they love, even if we don't. And then we act different. And I, again, I'm not into 
the big actions to, uh, to people say, oh, I'm going to go do these amazing things. Do little things. It's the little things we're not doing anymore. The endless going, you sacrifice other things. And there is no reward narrative. There's no commercial pushing of that quiescence, that settling in. This idea of uh, abyssism or the, the being in the abyss. Sri Rupendra is real big, just the abyss, just in the womb of the mother. And there's nothing there. And then you encounter another object, another being, another friend, another acquaintance. That's really how our world works. And from there we grow, and we grow an identity and connection, and we try to label it. I would say we, we, we want to be very careful as we look out into this world as witnesses. Just put a boundary between you and what you see so that you won't lose the opportunity to have alternatives. I would question anyone now who ignores the moment we're in, a very challenging time for humanity, and not take a telescopic view of that and say, how can I step away from this? Because as I said to Jante, we can all take so many hits, but it's not the hit that you're taking, it's the recovery from that that you want to look at. If you don't have that, that is where it begins to undermine your health, your well-being, um, the stability of consciousness, your creativity, your ability to navigate these things. And so let us work on being able to be a witness to this would not without being involved in it. I think when you told me about you being on the train and there's a guy who has like an electric chainsaw, something, putting it together on the train, he's sitting a few feet away from you. You know, I, I worry about you. Um, there's things that you said that, that made it, the picture worse for me. You were trying to put on your earbuds. I said, I don't want you with earbuds on and there's a guy with a chainsaw sitting a few feet away from you. I want you completely present. I want you on your toes, ready to throw the first person near you in front of that chainsaw and handle your business or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of joking, kind of not, but it's about survival and awareness. And we are not entitled to a life unencumbered. We have no right to that, no matter what is said. All of these are political platitudes. Oh, you have a right to do it. You have a right to nothing. You, you have an opportunity to, to Look after yourself. So when I hear that, it's like I'm, I'm saying, damn, Vin, you can't have it both ways. The minute that person pulls out a weapon, our situational awareness goes full blast. And I tell that to everybody, just having been in that position of protecting lives. You know, I check with all the girls here, make sure they have their mace. I go over and over them. It took years to tell people, lock the door behind you. And sure enough, our dear friend, Therese, they ran in and just pummeled the woman. This has been happening all over. But our world isn't a threatening world in that sense. Right now, we're going through a period where it is, we're, we're going back to the basic laws of survival, the basic laws of the jungle. There are predators and there are prey. There are gross physical predators that are hunting for immediate relief from whatever torment in their mind, and they're attacking people. But there's also emotional predators, because remember, everything is energy. There are people that are lonely, uh, desperate. There are people who are disenfranchised. Um, 
the politicians of the day play on it. More anger, more issues that are not issues at all, that are getting people worked up even more, in addition to financial instability, uh, government-sanctioned instability, um, general ability to get from to and fro is being hindered. Um, our lives are having the invisible hand of imposition. This is ratcheting up that stress, and then there's nowhere to put it, so it's just this huge pressure building up, and then the propagandists and politicians, they, 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 they tap into that, they put a conduit in that pressure, and they let it feed their machine. So you have the political world the way it is now. You have non-issues being discussed as if they're truly issues. Um, I saw, I guess, some governor wanted to make a law against making white people feel bad uh, based on history. Do you see that in history? Yeah, DeSantis or whatever wants to pass a law that you can't teach anything that makes white people feel bad as if you could, as if you can control other people's feelings. I know I can't control other people, whether you feel good or bad. So just to say that, you understand, the, see, the reason they're saying that is to channel your pressure one way or another. <clears throat> but not towards them. So people will hear that dog whistle. And if you identify yourself as white, you'll support him. If you identify yourself as not white, you won't support it. Or a very few people fall in between now. But none of this is, is real. It's not real. It's not relevant. It doesn't have anything to do with the challenges of your immediate life. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. People are trying to figure out how to pay bills. You have a new administration that came in that has now a plan to recover that money by taxing the common working person. So as we, as people cheered the fall of, of one kind of bizarro uh, government head, another more bizarro type person comes in and you don't know what you're doing because you, you're so vested in being on one side or the other but neither one of them are offering you relief from the pressure. Neither one of them is offering you just basic relief. And even if relief is nothing in your hand, it's the sense that help is going to come. When I was in the Air Force, I remember there were times when we would go on operations and there would be wounded people. And you would stabilize the wounded and you would get them somewhere safe, but they couldn't be evac And they would be in dire condition. I mean terrible conditions where they need to be in a hospital within the next 24 hours or so. And we would get them help. We might get them there in 12 hours. We weren't going to be given there right then. So we would have to stabilize the person, uh, get them comfort, talk to them, make them feel comfortable. And just knowing that help was coming extended their life. It reduced their stress. And we were trained to comfort people in such a way that, you know what, I'm getting you out of here. Help is coming. I'm going to put a radio by your head, here's your teddy bear, whatever you need, and uh, we're going to work a perimeter, and you're going to be okay. And just hearing that would change the way that energy was expended from that person, and they would, they would get through that event, or they'd had a better chance of recovering. We're not getting that nowadays. We don't know when this is going to end. We don't know. You know, so all our stress is being channeled now by this, what they refer to as this binary political season. So you can vent your hate at immigrants or vent your hate at people of other 
ethnicities or buy into the false myth of race and, you, and you're cheering this and you're putting energy there and but that's not your problem that's not the problem is we need a break people need a break as John Tay said I'm taking too many hits I know what that's like I know what it's like when you 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 have a series of loved ones uh, go through something and um, and then something else comes up, even petty things. So when we're in that survival mode, we no longer are real empathetic. It's real hard to be empathetic when you're just trying to survive. And so the survival mechanism kicks in when your energetic stores are taxed, right? So there are chemical reactions in your body when your energy is low. That's why you know women can be real snarty when they're PMS. They're low on blood. There's a survival mechanism kicks in. Don't F with me. I'm, I'm low on blood. People get hangry. You know, they get hungry and they get angry because their glycemic index drops down. So that energetic component of blood has gone down. It kicks up the survival mechanism. See, we can do this all day. So you could be under long-term stress. And then here's one more thing. Now you're depleted. Once you're depleted, your primitive brain comes in and it dominates your more sophisticated brain. And so, Vin, that's what we're seeing on the streets, this anger, this rage, this explosiveness, because there's no break. But we also remember for years and years, we pushed the attitude of the overachieving multitasker. And even now, the young people are faced with this endless stream of artificial influencers on the Internet that look like life is success and they're just different restaurants and... <clears throat> they put no energy. Nobody's really resting and relaxing. You'll see something where they'll send a thousand pictures from their vacation. I mean, that's the last thing I'm doing on my vacation is trying to send pictures to random fools on the Internet. I know that's the way we have to do it, but they're, they're still hungry and thirsting for validation. An outside force nurturing me, an outside force giving me their energy, an outside force inspiring me, an outside force cheerleading me. Lift me up, lift me up, lift me up. Damn it, when are you going to stand on your own? How much more do you need? And so that's where we're now operating in this survival thing. And some people, a lot of people, are losing their mind. And that's not a far loss because many people are just walking around and they're like two blocks away from crazy town. So it's not a big thing to push people over the edge. Uh, financial instability, emotional instability, um, family cohesion falling apart, right? So just on a basic level, you can see that, but there is a solution. There is a solution. And like I said, we can look at it from the point of view of a microscope. And that's, that universe is too dense. Let's step back and look at things from a telescopic view. I would say when... Jante was talking about he had taken a lot of hits. I think about that, and I think what got me through my difficult moments. The first thing that got me through was duty. I always felt I had something important to do that was bigger than me. And what I mean by that is my duty. So when I was not feeling well over the uh, holidays, my wife said, well, why don't you stay home? But even though it's a small thing, I teach a couple of courses and classes online. I consult. I have people that needed my consultation. And that duty lifted me up. And I, and I reminded Jay of a movie that I saw. Uh, there's an old movie called Cooley High. And there's a scene in that movie 
where the boys are messing up and the mother looks, I'm going to give you a, a spanking when uh, you get in the house, you did something I told you not to do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish you. And the guy is very reluctant. He goes in and takes his mother the, the belt or whatever to punish him. They used to do that a long time ago. And when he gets in there, his mom is sound asleep. She's so exhausted from her work day. She just is snoring. And that one scene was so moving to so many people because you know that there are people who support you that give their last best measure to you. Those are the real heroes in our life and the hero examples. Who is it that will give that last measure for you? You unworthy being, you worthless nobody. But there is somebody who will get up and show up for you. And they don't do it for you because they're made that way. There are people that are made that way. And I hope to be an example of that because they get to tap into the celestial divine energy. Those are the people that have another kind of energy. I remember my grandfather, who was just a very important person in my life. I remember being in the truck with him, and he was a civil engineer. And he would finish the day's work and come home and then go and do other odd jobs for people. Just random things, everything from plumbing to car repair to uh, you know, house painting, landscaping, or taking someone to a hospital or whatever it was. He, he always had things he would do right after work. So before he sat, he got, he gets home at five, dinner would be ready by seven. So the two hours before that, he would run and do chores for different people. And I would love going with him. And I remember whenever we would ride around, he would go and get a, a large jar with big ice cubes in it. My grandmother would have waiting for him. And he'd put a lemon in it, and he would sip that and sometimes rub it across his chest. He'd rub it across his chest, and we'd go do our thing. Then I felt better as I got older. He would have me do more and more, and he would supervise me more as I was doing whatever task or chore, things that I can do now because of him. So a few years later, I'm in the Air Force. My commander calls me in the office to tell me my granddad has passed away. And he offered to drive me to my grandmother's house because while I was in the Air Force, my grandparents were stationed uh, a few miles away from the base, uh, 100 miles or so from the base. And, and GIs used to ride the buses and travel in carpools a lot. And that was always a stopover. If somebody said, hey, I'm in the Air Force with your grandson, they'd have a meal. Whatever time of day or night, they'd have a place to sleep and a meal. So many Air Force people I didn't even know knew my grandparents because the way the word spread out. So my commander tells me that my grandfather's gone. I, I tell him I'll go see him. We drive up there and I'm with my grandmother. And, but he was so healthy. He was so strong. He was only 57 at the time. And he had sclerosis of the heart, hardening of the arteries. So all that time he was rubbing ice water on his chest was to soothe the pain in his chest from the hardening of the arteries in his heart. It was soothing his chest. He would just roll the ice water over his chest and get right back to whatever he had to do. That is divinity in its working. And then when they did the 
post-mortem on it. They said, yeah, his, his arteries were actually leaking blood and had probably been doing that for a while. He could have probably got it fixed, but he never complained. He would have probably lived longer, but nobody knew. And there's a character of a man, a quality of a human being that we don't honor. Uh, my grandfather would never have a million in, likes for his life. He would never be an influencer. But he changed my world. All of us have people like that that are examples of us. And I try to follow those examples. In our own lives, we all have hero archetypes. If we don't look far. Don't look far. Don't look far. And I say that, Vin, because if you do that, your heart will rest. If your heart can rest and your mind can rest, we can heal our mind and our soul. Because it is like a bad horror movie out there. But that's the microscopic view. Let's take a, 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 let's take a telescopic view of this short life. And what can we do? You're your children's hero. You're the real hero in their life. Hopefully, your wife and you will be able to, through the nonsense of the day, the anxiety, through the chatter, sit there with each other, look out the window as if the world's about to end, and just love each other, and realize that you made it out of this world alive and with love. That's what I'm finding. When I think about all the hits I've taken, the biggest stresses in my life, I can handle any of that as long as I'm loved. As long as I'm loved. And you know your love when you sit there and you, you dwell in it. You just collapse in it. When you have those duties, I, 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 I really love working with people and seeing them do well. And I slowly ease into the background, just quietly ease into the background. And I feel okay because I know what okay is not. I know, I know the ugly quiet, the piercing quiet when things aren't okay. I know material things, what, what missed meal hunger pangs are like. I know the dread that sits over you when you're uncertain of how you can fulfill your duties and you're, you're, you, you have to find a way out of no way. And so by knowing that, I know the other side. When things are okay, I know when to say it's okay. I know when to say I'm blessed, I'm fortunate. I know when I see a bad day turn into good days and I relish the good days. I don't keep looking at the bad days and say, why me, why me, why me? Right? So Ben, those are exercises that we can do is it goes back to the old lesson of just general gratitude, but also taking the veil of falsehood away. This, this other stuff is going on is, is garbage. Don't buy into it. Try to avoid getting on different people's sides. Ignorance is, is, is in now. Ignorance is really in. Ignorance takes energy away. It doesn't give life. So we want to work on things that bring life. And that may mean 
a few things. One, it may mean limiting the number of people you're around, which is something the pandemic has taught us, and it's okay. Considering where you live, if you have that option. Many people don't. We've always known that densely populated urban areas are never been healthy. Nowhere on earth are they healthy. So just the more you can move out of the density of things, or maybe if you don't physically move right away, you can emotionally start to move away from it. Um, harm's way means a lot of things. Now, it's not just a criminal approaching you. We have a diseased society. And, but we also have beautiful things happening. <coughs> new opportunities. New things are being created. Um, where there's life, there's hope. Maybe it's a time to return to something as basic as, what do I have going for me? And then you can work on that. You can't work on it if there's no way to answer that question. What do you need to be still and at peace? What are the solutions to your problems? Not what the problems are, what are the solutions? And then implement those. So I'll let you have it. I just want you to think about that when we look at the dread in this society and in this world. And I say to you, take your earbuds off when people are breaking out machetes and chainsaws on subways. Try to avoid that. Um, you have a loving, loving family. A loving family. I was working with your mom the other day, Vin, and she is so strong now. She is so healthy compared to where she was some years ago. And so you're going to have your mom for a long time. A sound mind, healthy. Um, I don't have a mom. I don't have a dad. Haven't had one in years. And <coughs> I projected that onto other people. And it always leaves an interesting place in your soul. So gratitude. Let's talk to our friends and spouses about anxiety. Let's start saying we have enough and not what we need to be happy. What if we just had enough? I love my routine. When I know when I can get into my routines, it's not a lot of negative stuff going on. When I can do work on somebody and do the class and hang out with all the young people, maybe work on my car and share stories of life, watch them all grow, watch the adventures of Caitlin and Pretty Tony like a soap opera. Uh, life is good. You guys know that Caitlin and Pretty Tony are all our listeners. Uh, please send in uh, your reply and what you think about uh, Caitlin and Pretty Tony uh, dating uh, fiasco. I mean, think, and it's, I think it's great. I actually think it's great. I tease Caitlin and Pretty Tony, and uh, they're nice people. And I've been wanting Caitlin, I've been wanting Caitlin to get laid for for years just to keep her health right. She's really happy. She does her toenails now and fingernails, and all kind of things. So she looks good energetically. Pretty Tony is really awkward and has never really dated on a challenging level. And I'm sure Caitlin's extremely challenged to deal with, and that's good for him. And they're nice people, and so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That that lifted my spirits. That they they found each other and they're pretty happy. I think she was dissatisfied with Jonte. It had something to do with uh, sexual perversion. But they all they worked it all out, 
and that's it. But anyway, Vin, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm editing all of that out. Yeah, that's funny, man. I feel like we could take a detour and do a whole other episode on dating a Dharma or something like that. But anyway, yeah, let's uh, we'll we'll shelve that. Maybe if people write in, if there's enough demand, uh, we can explore this topic. Uh, but getting back to what you said, Z, you said so many interesting things. I just want to summarize for a minute. So it's this idea that we're depleted, and we have been in this mentality of go, go, go. There's no time to recharge. There's no time to find that stillness, to get in, st- in, in touch with the things that give us energy back versus the constant anxiety or the threats or whatever the drains are on our attention, which depletes us. So you have that, and you've had that trend going on in the background for a long time. You talked about how this has built up over the 80s, the 90s. Then you add technology on top of that, it becomes worse because that's a constant demand. We're always waiting for whatever the next information hit is. So there's really no opportunity, even if there's nothing going on around us, There's the pull of our cell phone or the pull of the computer. So we're never really at peace. And you think about this state that we're all in, it means that we get to a breaking point. We become more feral. There's less civility. And that means that people snap. And the more people that snap, the greater the stress is. So we're almost in this downward spiral. And I don't know what the solution is at a macro level. uh, You did talk about some, some good solutions that that I can take or that our audience can take, uh, things like gratitude, like making sure that we've got good relationships with our family, spouses, children, parents, friends, because that's something that gives life back, that gives energy back. Uh, we talked about duty and making sure that you do your duty, which gives you a feeling of stillness and peace once you discharge that. It's like, okay, there's nothing more going on in my mind. There's nothing outstanding that I have to do because everything that I've had to do, I've done. So now I can relax and I can heal. Uh, We talked a bit about if we have the option, let's get out of these crowded areas. For some people, it's an option. For others, maybe not. Uh, So I think those are some practical things that we can start working on. If we do work on it, though, one thing I want to explore with you, Z, is this idea that we have to constantly go and we have to constantly do something. Because you're right, this has been around for a long time. I almost feel like it's been replaced. So it used to be this idea that we have to work constantly. We have to go, go, go. And we have to spend long hours at the office. I know I've worked with people who wanted to be there all night. and <laughs> would get excited when 6 o'clock came and we had to break out the menus and order takeout. It was like the best part of their day. Wow, we can extend this by another two hours or three hours and just hang out. And it was always horrible for me, but some people seem to like it. So there's that sense that you have to be in the office, that you've got to do work, that you've always got to be engaged. That's almost been replaced by technology or maybe complemented by technology. So maybe now it's not so much about being in a physical space, but it's about always being plugged in and always intaking information and responding to, uh, to demands on our time and our attention. Uh, so it, when I look at that, you talk about the telescopic view you step back and realize that that's something that really prevents us from recharging, uh, that destroys the stillness, it destroys the peace. It means that that mental dust 
is constantly getting kicked up. Every one of these pulls on our attention, it's like kicking up a small dust storm. And we never allow all of that dust to settle and just have some tranquility and some clarity. So one thing I want to get your perspective on, because I know we've talked about this in the past, and what's interesting to me is today you've got a view about recharging and about harmony, but you've also said that going back, I don't know how long it was, maybe 20 years or maybe even 30 years, there was a point in your life where you felt like you just had to be on the go, that if you weren't working all the time, you were weak, uh, that sleeping was a waste of time. So you would go days without sleep, and then you would just crash for 18 hours at a time. So talk to us about that. What was your state of mind back then, and what caused you to get away from that? Because I think hearing your story might help people as we think about how to move from this mode where we're, we're always plugged in to being able to say, it's okay. I can schedule some rest, some downtime, and that's actually a healthier situation. You know, I think the dysfunction in, in my psyche at the time was I, I take the idea of the urgency of life to its furthest frontier. Um, as I said, I've, I've had a lot of losses in my life, and suddenly people are gone. And as I look back and I, I, I do some uh, psychiatric forensic on myself, I never, and I've shared with you in, 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 in a very personal way, that I never saw myself as aging. I never thought I would get to 40. Never thought that I would make it to 50. Never thought I would make it to 60. But these years kept uh, being favorable. And no matter what I went through, I would kind of bounce back. So early on, I just felt like I had to get a lot done with the little time I had. I also burned... As my grandmother say, I, I burned the fuse on both ends. Uh, my teacher, uh, Mr. Baker, uh, he would laugh at me and just say that I would, he said, why don't you take a break, man? He said, I said, that's a waste of time. You know, I would do all my rituals of meditation. I ate well. So that helped me kind of keep in harmony that breakneck pace where I might have been doing uh, four to six hours at the most sleep a night, maybe four hours, uh, good night, six hours, and I would be ready. But even that sleep was not a deep sleep. Everything had purpose. What do I need to do next? And I think that was the way that I was coping with a lot of my um, trauma issues with uh, with the loss, the loss of, of loved ones. And as I matured and, and different challenges of life, uh, fatherhood, all those started to make me reassess um, that. And uh, then I, I would encounter every now and then very nurturing uh, people in my life. If I had a girlfriend who was really nurturing, who would encourage simplicity, I would reject it at first, but then totally enjoy it. Because I also had an issue, um, like a lot of people, that I didn't understand being nurtured because I, I didn't have a, that relationship in my family. So whenever I met someone who was nurturing, I thought something was wrong with them. So I would pursue people who were not nurturing, who were more on the go-go tip with me because I could relate to them. And then uh, that is, as time goes on and then different challenges came about, and you would not just lose the physical energy, but really that, that Leila of life, that life became routine. It became a cold routine a drill without life, without joy, without grief, just a routine. Show up, do this. 
there is a benefit to that mechanism, but it's a limited benefit. And then upon going through other challenges or losses, catastrophic losses, I accepted that life is, is every minute. And how do you get the most out of the minutes of life as opposed to going from one goal, one thing, one aspiration to another? And what are the things that are really beautiful, important, that makes life even worth talking about? And that became a simpler picture that I could sit with that. The physiological issues that come along with that behavior is known in Chinese medicine as empty fire. Empty fire is a, a medical term in Chinese medicine that represents the breakdown of the yin vessel itself. So if you think about yin is the containment, the source, the earth, the feminine energy. Yang is the fire, the expression of that energy, the volatility, things that come out of it. And so empty fire would be similar to a nuclear meltdown. This is what we're going through right now, where you go, 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 but you don't nurture the containment. You don't nurture the thing that supports and holds you. So you run out of energy to burn, so you start to burn your own containment, your kidneys, you eat up your body, um, your heart rate has gone up. Um, your attention is, is, is less directed. You tend to agitate more easily because you can't contain uh, the energy anymore. And now it's no longer directed. So it's, it's like a raging fire in a nuclear reactor. It's just eating up and burning up everything. It's no longer directed towards one energetic conduit. It is now anything in its path. It's consuming and eating. So that's what we call in traditional Chinese medicine, empty fire. So I went through my empty fire, right? And it consumes everything. It consumes your body. It consumes your thinking. Uh, it consumes your hopes, your dreams. And if, you don't, if you're not aware of what's going on, you just go down that path. You become neurotic. There's a lot of health issues. Uh, anxiety overwhelms you. You're on anxiety medications. You're on the, all these kind of things. Your health starts to decline, so you start chasing that. And so you're basically burning up more and more and more and more and more. And um, it took a, a few things that happened that made me just go to an absolute stop to question, uh, question life itself and take a pause. And I did. And clearing up what was important to me, fulfilling my duties are important to me. What do I want? Uh, not a lot of things. Simple life to share what I know and whatever I can to mitigate human suffering and pass on to eternity uh, having had a good ride. It's not a lot. Uh, take some, get some liabilities out of the way so that there's not the distraction and burden of those things. Um, set all these kids up so they can do their thing and grow into old folks uh, and, and reflect upon this life. But that picture had to come in at a great cost. And I'm saying, we don't, you don't have to go through what I went through. I would say, really understanding empty fire. Build your base, build your containment. Break out a book. One of the challenges to Vin that, that people will have, everybody out there, whatever it is, please study philosophy and different philosophies. You, don't, you may be fond of maybe uh, Viking philosophy or something that has something, but you'll find that the more you go back in time 
and read the notes of philosophers, the more universal words you'll hear, common themes you keep hearing. And that's why I start as far back as I can go. Um, I remember reading Marcus Aurelius, and he sounded just like Lao Tzu, and he sounded just like Arabindu, and he sounded just like Rumi, and he sounded just like Gibran. He sounded just like Cheikh Akhtadiyat. He sounded like Chainu uh, Achebe. He sounded like Fanon. Sounded like Imhotep. So let's just go back and just really, how do, how do we navigate being human? And we have such a small time to do it in. Um, why, why be sad? And if you're sad, what is the remedy for your sad? And each of us may have a different remedy. And I found that it, one of the saddest things that I found in dealing with people is the foolishness that we think we can just, we have forever to do this. Do we not learn anything from listening to the news or the rumors of that woman that was pushed in front of that train? She didn't get up that morning thinking that she was going to be pushed in front of a train. The night before, her loved ones didn't think she would never come home for dinner. They were lost in their normal routine with no regard to the transiency of life. And then through the wayward hand of fate, they encountered an insane person that ends that whole part of their life. Well, she's free in eternity now. She has no worries, no weights on her. But the family will be affected by this as long as they walk the earth. How do we foolishly think that it won't happen to us? Children die every day of choking, of childhood. I, I watch my kids sometimes and wonder, how the hell do you even get to grow up and be 18? They do all kind of dangerous stuff, and you're trying to watch them. And, uh, you know, my poor wife is fatigued and distracted trying to do different things, and the kids are climbing on stuff and trying to figure out how electricity works. Good God, I come home, and it just looks like somebody threw a grenade in my house. And I mean, how do we do this? So what we do sometimes is pull back. And that's such a, a light. That's so enlightening. Just put a light on that. You stop at the end of your day. Maybe it's 8 o'clock. Maybe it's 9 o'clock. Right before your kids go down, just say something to them. That if, they, if you die, that would be the thing that they would remember last. Let's say if you really love somebody, you really love somebody, just check in with them. And say, yeah, you may or may not notice, but I'm glad you're in my life. And better yet, show it. How much does it take? 10 minutes? 15 minutes? You and I talk on a regular basis. And sometimes it's not about heavy stuff, is it, Van? It's just, it brings up this beautiful creativity in you, and it, it, it lifts me out of my mud sometimes. You know, I tease the, the folks here but they're beautiful people. And sometimes in my trauma, because, you know, I'm an old dinosaur, been through this, seen that, that, I'm always aware of that, the cloud of gloom moving around. But see, it's not always bad because it motivates me. It motivates me when I work with people. I push them. I inspire them. 
I have all the people I work with that I constantly try and uplift them. You know what? Because in that weird part of me, I want them to live as I want them to outlive me. That's my dirty secret. I've lost enough, buried enough, wiped away enough tears, sat quietly alone to deal with that empty moment that you can't ever justify, like this family that lost someone on train and car accidents, whatever, mishaps. And I think about how, how fortunate that, that everybody's okay today. Everybody's okay today. I think like that. And I hope that they outlive me. I told my best friend that, one of my best friends who's still with me, Kevin, and I said, if you die before me, I will beat your ass. I will beat the shit out of you if you die before me. He says, I know, man. That's why I'm taking all my vitamins to do that. Because that's the last, you know, right before I die, you come and kick my ass and embarrass me. I say, I will beat the hell out of you if you die before me. Because life is you. Life is us. See, without my people, I can't be here. I've seen too much. I've seen too much in this world. So you guys give me that lift. So some days I'm gloomy and grumpy. But whenever I come, it's showtime. When I hear you guys, it's showtime. My kids, don't let the old man fall on his face. Got to have my A game, just like with the little guys. As soon as I get home, they're going to set up booby traps for me. I better be on my toes. Okay? So there is an upside to what we're going through, but the upside is in our own heart. Let's think different about it then. I don't want you to be unsafe, okay? I want you to accept the world as it is and look for a way of navigating through this, this moment. Not just physically safety, not just physical safety, but your spiritual safety. Share that with Becky. That you guys have everything if you have each other. Let's cheer people who have found friendship and love and a space to be. That's what Dharma is for so many people. It's not just for the health of the body. It's a place they come in. The other day, I got a call from the alarm company because Robert came in and set the alarm off. And they said, well, it's Rob. People don't know how good that makes me feel. Rob is John Tay's buddy. And he's, 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 he's a goofy Polish kid, I think. Polish. Same thing. Okay. But he's one of the coolest people that's part of our world. He's just a cool, weird dude. They're, they're laughing at him and mocking him and, um, they're, because they're cruel and, and evil. But I like Rob. And I trust when he's here. And he's found a home here coming from far away. Right, Jay? He's got people. Nothing better than that. And sometimes it just makes me feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm, I, I had a role in this. I don't need a big role. Maybe I just opened the side door to the concert for you, but you got in. You got in. So here we are. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, I, I keep on coming back to that analogy that we talked about at the beginning, this telescope versus microscope. Because it's so fitting, you know, the way most of us live. We get caught up in the day-to-day 
and everything is a microscope. It's, okay, what's next? What's in my immediate vicinity? Uh, what do I have to check off? It's almost like we, our life is a series of checklists. And you talk about that cold, empty routine where you just check the boxes, check the boxes, boom, boom, boom. And no time to enjoy, no time to appreciate, no time to recharge. Uh, I kind of think about going to a different country. Uh, some people, as soon as they get there, they've got a list of all the tourist sites and you want to go boom, 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 boom. doesn't matter whether you see it, you internalize it, you enjoy it, but you've done it and now you can move on to whatever the next thing is in your life. But if we step back and take that telescopic view, we have more of that sense of stillness. That, to me, immediately brings in the gratitude that we talked about. It brings in the appreciation for the family. As you said, that if we've got each other, if we've got love between us, if we've got a family that's nurturing, that's supportive, and we've got physical safety, we've got security, what else do you want? What else is life but this series of moments? And if we can spend it with people that we care about, if we can express ourselves, if we can laugh, cry, if we can do things that bring us peace and stillness, advance ourselves, advance those around us, that's it. The end result, the accumulation doesn't really matter. The uh, The series of boxes that we check off doesn't matter. It's more can we live in a way where we've got some appreciation uh, for the day-to-day. And I think that really happens when we take more of that macro view and step back. And by doing that, as you also said, Z, that helps us prioritize because that helps us get away from the immediate demands on our attention. And we can take a look at the whole picture and say, what's important to us? What's bringing us satisfaction versus what's not? And as you said, in your own life, that was something that helped you uh, when you were able to step back from the madness and the daily chaos. You said, okay, what do I really care about? And I'm going to live a little bit differently. So I would just close and say, let's take that telescopic view. Uh, Let's step back. Let's understand what's important. Uh, Let's live that way. Let's make sure that we have that time uh, to energize ourselves, uh, to get back that stillness, to get out of that feral state so we can be more human. I mean, that's really what defines us as human beings, where we're not so focused on immediate survival but we have time to, to focus on relationships, focus on creativity, focus on passion, do the things that really bring us life. So that's it for me, Z. Any final thoughts? I guess the final thought, thought man, is that it sounds corny, but in this life, what blends the prefrontal cortex to the primitive brain, the bridge of all those across the landscape of the human experience, the one overabiding conduit is love expressed in all of its different ways and i just want everybody to remember hey this life is short man don't plan a lot just be a lot that's all if you enjoyed the show please consider leaving us a review on podbean itunes or your favorite podcasting app each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.